my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Take one of this episode, which I assumed would be the only take, had some technical difficulties, but I'm actually glad that I'm able to record again because in between that recording and this one, I was able to take a little break and have something to eat and also discover the Hampton University football player the first openly gay Black football player at a historically Black college in the United States who came out. I saw his episode on the Tamron Hall show, so that's given me a boost to do this episode again. Congratulations, Byron, on doing that. It takes a lot of bravery at his age of 22 years old. It takes a lot of bravery for any of us at any age, but it's really great to see someone who is young like that standing in his truth. And Remembering, too, for myself that I never know where I'm going to find my answers or my angels for today. So, again, thank you, Byron, for sharing your story. Kind of leads into this episode, Finding My Voice as a Black Gay Man. When the first episode aired of this platform in April of 2021, episode one featuring the British director, former actor, and singer Leon Lopez, and the subsequent episodes that have followed, all great guests, I didn't really give much thought into how this platform would affect me. I was just really focused on making sure that I deliver the best product possible through the interviews, through the guests, and through the recordings, and all of the stuff that goes behind the scenes. I'm learning a lot and bringing some of my own expertise that I already had into this as a graphic designer. But... I'm a part of this process behind the scenes through being the host. And so it would make sense that this would encourage me to look at how this platform is helping me to grow and to evolve as a person, to become more aware of who I am, the voice that I have that I hope can help others. When I was in high school, it was in my English class, I was a sophomore in high school, and we had a paper to write about what careers we saw ourselves in. The year that we were given was the year 2000, which was a few years ahead. I wrote about being a celebrity writer. And in the piece, I dropped everyone into the scene where I was driving up the canyon somewhere in L.A. And I did not know L.A. at that time. I did not live in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona, not knowing that I would end up there. But in this paper, I wrote about driving up the hill, going to visit Michael Jackson and to interview him. I bring that up because I kept that paper. It's somewhere in a box of mementos back in the U.S. I'm currently in Brighton, as some of you know. I've been a digital nomad mainly in Europe for the last three years between here in England and also in Stockholm, Sweden, where I hope to settle, or that's at least one of the top spots that I would like to settle in here in Europe. But I thought of that paper recently because I realized recently that what I'm doing as a writer, also as a podcaster and a host of this platform, that that is 
what I'm doing is what I wrote in that paper so many years ago. It's a reminder to me that you never know when the universe decides that it's time to live in your truth and to remind myself that everything is part of the journey. And some things happen that I would not like to repeat again, but they all have led up to what I'm doing now with this platform, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. I mentioned finding a voice or finding my voice as a Black gay man through this platform because prior to this, I lived a full and great life in the U.S. and Los Angeles, where I moved to when I was in my early 20s. But I've always been someone who's been most comfortable in the background, which is interesting because I moved to L.A. to be an actor. But in some ways, being an actor is safe. As an actor, I'm not playing myself. You're playing a character. And at that time, too, I didn't understand the importance or know that it was okay for me even if I was playing a character that didn't mirror the life experiences that I had at that time, that I did need to bring who I was or I am into whatever I do creatively, personally, professionally, all that stuff. So um, yeah, it's through this platform that I've been discovering that and simply through using my voice. Long ago, I accepted how I sound in recordings, but doing this bi-weekly platform and interviewing people, I noticed that my voice has changed, not so much the sound of it, but the volume level. I have gone back and heard the early episodes. I wouldn't say I sound timid, but there's definitely a softness there that I feel is still there at its core. That's possibly part of who I am. But yeah, the volume has gone up a bit more. Part of that, I believe, is because... One of the first positive critiques that I heard from guests is that they like the sound of my voice. Yeah, it was new for me, I'll be honest. Not that that may not have been said before. Yeah, it was just new for me. It was new for me. Part of my past includes around my voice. There were definitely people throughout my life who would comment on it and say that I sounded quote unquote white or sounded like a wannabe or sounded like an Oreo. And so, to now be receptive to hearing people say, oh, I like the sound of your voice. For the first time, to have a sense of pride around the way I sound. One of the things that I rediscovered a few years ago was writing. I started in college as a journalism major, but from the age of eight or the earliest that I can remember, I was told that I had a gift for writing. I knew it from a technical aspect, but it never really pierced beneath the surface. I think I kind of, at that time, filtered it as, oh, well, it's something that I can do. It seems to come naturally to me, but I never really appreciated it as a gift and something that I can believe in and cultivate. And I bring that up because, as I mentioned a few years ago, I rediscovered writing or my love of writing. I have to thank for that Robin and Haley of the memoir writing group in Los Angeles called The Missing Peace. Robin is someone that we both work for the same company in Los Angeles. We connected while she was at that company through discovering our love of writing, a love of reading. And she reached out to me a few years ago and said, oh, I thought of you as 
maybe wanted to come and check this out. And she was another person that encouraged me to, to cultivate my, my skill set as a writer. Although I love biographies, although I love interviews with public figures, I just love people who are authentic and telling their stories. I never thought about or wanted to do that for myself, even though I wanted to be an actor at one point in my life. But I never thought of, say, if I got famous or became public, I never thought about actually talking on a public platform. So yeah, when Robin reached out to me and shared with me that they had started this writing group, I was like, oh, I don't know. But I decided to give it a chance. It really opened my eyes. You know, when I moved to L.A. to be an actor, I was aware that I was technically good at it. But what I wasn't able to decipher at that time was why I didn't always connect on an emotional level. Part of that was because I didn't want you to get to know me. Definitely didn't think any of my life experiences at the time were interesting enough or dynamic enough for me to use within the toolkit of being an actor. I never really went anywhere with that. Never really progressed past the external part of it. But with discovering memoir writing through Robin and Haley, and especially that first session, I remember the people that were there. What really wowed me was when people shared their stories, how raw and beautifully authentic everyone's story was. And then it was like, for me, like, oh, wow, that's what was missing for me when I was acting, was that I wasn't bringing who I am into this. I became aware, too, that these are the stories, the movies that I watch. These are the books that I read. These are the interviews that I've watched. These are the interviews that I've conducted now, <laughs> a few years later, as the host of this platform. But yeah, going to Robin and Haley's memoir writing group was really eye-opening for me. Moving to L.A. for acting was an escape. I don't believe I was fully comfortable in standing in my truth as a Black gay man, as someone who's from Phoenix, Arizona. Those were parts of who I am that I don't think I ever really was proud of, at least my interpretation of those things, of being from Arizona and my own experience as a Black gay man. I don't think I ever was proud of those parts of myself. So the gift of writing did return to me through memoir writing, but I was still in some ways, I believe, hiding. I didn't at that time believe I was worthy of standing next to those that I had looked up to for their accomplishments or just who they were as people. When I think of myself in pictures, I usually was the person standing to the side or in the back because I felt most comfortable in those spaces. I didn't want to be fully absent, but I didn't feel worthy enough of standing center stage. Yeah, those things to look back on and dig beneath the surface and say, what is underneath all of that? What is underneath me being afraid to speak clearly as myself? With finding confidence in the way that I sound through this platform, I don't judge my voice in the way that I used to around 
sounding air quotes white. <laughs> Preceding this platform, I was co-hosting a podcast called Wallflowers in Bloom with my friend Jenny in LA. I was actually here in Europe and Sweden at the time when it started. We still co-host about being introverts. That was my introduction into being a podcaster, to being an interviewer. I thank Jenny for that because it was her idea to start that platform for us to talk about being introverts and also for us to interview other guests who acknowledge that they're introverts. But it wasn't until we had my sister on as a guest that I discovered for the first time that my voice inflections are not unique to me. <laughs> my sister was a guest because Jenny at that point had had both her dads on. Her dad, Robert, is a therapist, and he came on and talked about introversion, which was really good for me because it really broke down the difference between what an introvert is and what being shy is. And also finding out in my own reading that a lot of people who are creatives, people who are in front of cameras or on stages are introverts. And today I can say it kind of makes sense and it kind of makes sense why I gravitated towards that and wanted to do that and felt comfortable on stage. I never did camera work, but definitely felt comfortable on stage is that we are observers out of genuine interest most of the time. But yeah, when my sister came on the Wallflowers and Bloom podcast as a guest, because Jenny had her dad, Robert, on and she had her other dad, Caetano, on, who's an extrovert. And I realized I haven't really allowed myself to talk about my own family. And I come from a family of introverts. So when she came on and it was time for me to edit the audio, it was the first time I heard her voice and was like, oh, my God, some of our speech patterns are similar. And even the way we laugh sometimes is similar. And it was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. It gave me an awareness of it's okay to own this part of myself. With me being the sole host of our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, I had to go through that process again. And it's actually a legacy of our mother who passed away in 2004. And hearing both of our voices recorded, I can hear her sometimes when I tried my hand at acting when I left the world of acting. One of the things I noticed was in films, characters who were deemed as sounding more like me. I think of characters like the brother on the French Prince of Bel-Air, and I think of Vanessa Williams' character in the film Soul Food, and a few other projects, either in film and television. Those types of characters are usually... I notice written as the outsiders or as a butt of jokes. It was always uncomfortable for me when I would see those types of characters in media. That's how I assume people saw me. They think, oh, well, you are trying to elevate yourself above your people or that if I speak, people will make fun of me. So yeah, I believe this platform is helping me to say that could be the case. I have no control over that. Don't let that get in the way of being my most authentic self. You know, I've talked about on previous episodes, my relationship with my mother and around this whole thing of finding my voice and accepting more who I am today. 
my mom, she gave me moments to let me know that she saw me. I didn't like growing up that people right away knew that we were related. <laughs> a lot of people thought she was my sister, especially when I got older and, you know, in my teen years and was taller and all these things. And I guess, you know, she had the gift of looking young for her age. You know, it's connected to some parts of my upbringing that I don't believe are ideal. I won't really get into that. But yes, she offered me moments when she sensed that I was struggling with my identity, that she let me know that one, that she saw me, and two, that we had some things in common. I came home one day, this was in high school, around 15, 16. I don't remember what was said to me, but I came home. And I remember what she shared with me. As a young woman, she worked at J.C. Penney's, which was a huge department store for many years in the U.S. And this was in Phoenix. I found out later she was the first Black woman to work on the floor, I think, in electronics and sales. But anyway, she shared with me that people were friendly to her. Her coworkers were nice to her. But there were Black women who kept her at an arm's length, and she could tell that they didn't really want her to be around. She didn't know why, but similar to me, she was kind of a shy person. A reserved person for sure. Eventually, one of the women from that little group came up to her and just started to talk to her. I guess she said, I'm going to find out who this woman is. And they formed a bond. They became friends. And this woman eventually told my mother that those other women think that you're stuck up. Just the way you walk into a space and how you sound and all that stuff. She was letting me know that, you know, there's aspects of my character, of my persona that obviously that you have, and this is who you are. When I moved to L.A., that all just came crashing in in a big way, especially that first year and living in the area that we lived in at the time I moved there with a friend. I just, for the first time, was like, oh, my God, now I get why I get these comments from certain people. What was worse is not, is this how they see me? But I worry, like, is this who I am? And I never answered that question because I know that I am a very proud Black man. I love history, and my aunt, my mother's sister, is a retired librarian. That stuff was always around me, history, Black history in particular. I never doubted that, but it's just a cause and effect of things. I just started to go within a little bit more. And then, too, there was a whole thing of me not at that time dealing with being gay. Yeah. My voice in my 20s and on up has never been as... I feel vibrant as it is today. And I thank this platform, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast for that. More importantly, my guests, individuals who have shared their stories, be they from the U.S., from the United Kingdom, from Sweden, from other places, from Cameroon, from Nigeria, finding this commonality similar to me listening to my sister's recording, finding out like, oh, there are parts of me that are universal. And I really thank everyone who's been on this platform for sharing that. The life experiences that I came into this whole part of my life with. I worked for many years in Los Angeles for an investment banking firm. I learned a lot there on a professional level. It took me leaving there in September 2019 to realize that work is a relationship too. I knew for a while 
like consciously, I knew for a few years that it wasn't the healthiest of environments. I knew that through just how emotionally I was feeling, especially as the culture started to change in a way that I felt was not beneficial for me, but also through the people that I remained in contact with who left, I was beginning to fully realize like, oh, wow, as far as the culture and some of the people there, this is not the most positive place to be in. Part of that was connected to some of the groups that existed within this firm, the Black enclave. I don't know if that's the right word to use. Some of whom were there just as long as I was and were still there when I left in 2019. I was never a part of that group, not because I didn't want to be, but because I felt I was not accepted. I know that through their actions and through some of the comments that certain individuals within that group would make throughout the years that I was there. One particular incident was about a year or so after I had been working there. This group, we were in the copy room. I thought, oh, this is great. I'm hanging out with these guys. We're getting along as far as I was aware. We were laughing about something. I don't remember what it was. And then as the laughter died down, one of the women in the accounting department just turned, looked at me and barked, you can stop talking that way. There are no white people around. For who I was and my self-esteem at the time, I took her opinions of me on as how I should see myself. And similar to other comments that I had been hearing leading up to that moment, I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Is that how they see me? You know, comments have a way of staying there past their expiration date. Another thing that happened around that group, this was also in the copy room. There was someone there who was known throughout the firm, seemed to be very active socially within that group. This is several years later. I was out as a gay man at this point. I was on the road of gaining more confidence in myself, definitely around being gay. There was another small group. And as people started to filter out, I was left alone with this one particular person. And he just made a comment and said, oh, wow, I didn't know you talked to people darker than you are. I was confused. <laughs> First of all, because I don't see myself how he was describing me. And then I thought, well, maybe his comment was connected to the person that a lot of people knew I lived with for several years who was of mixed heritage. I didn't ask him. I didn't challenge him on what he said to me. This was all my perception. Around that time, it was the first time I attempted to go to therapy. And so I brought up the incidents with my therapist. She just very calmly asked me, well, what does he look like? And I said, oh, he's just another Black guy. And she's like, nope, that's not what I'm asking you. And she shared with me, with her being Jewish, some of the ways that certain individuals can separate or create a hierarchy within that community based on maybe skin tone or hair texture or other physical characteristics. And so she asked me again, so what does he look like physically? And I said, well, yeah, okay. If I had to describe him, I would say his skin tone is darker than mine. And so she just said, that comment was not about you. That was about him. I was like, aha, I hadn't thought of that. 
that was the first time I became aware, I think fully consciously that a lot of times and myself included, what may be said to me may not be about me. So yeah, I thank my therapist at that time for that. When I left that firm three years ago, my plan was to find employment of a similar type as a graphic designer working at a similar type of corporate environment in Sweden. Part of the reason I believe it hasn't happened, didn't happen definitely at that time, was because I came to a country quite naively with not a lot of information, definitely not realizing that all countries have their own pools of talent. It is definitely about networking, who you know, and all that good stuff. So all that to say, I am grateful for that because what has happened since then is that I got to go through my process, cycle through my emotions around leaving that firm. I spent over half my life there. I got to acknowledge to myself that although I did learn a lot there, there were aspects of working there <laughs> that were not healthy and that work is a relationship too. And I do look at work as another non-romantic relationship. But yet not falling into that type of scenario when I left the U.S. has given me time to process those emotions, which has helped me to talk about it more with my network of family and friends. I didn't realize until I did start to share some of those experiences around the dysfunctional aspects of it that I hadn't really talked about work. I talked about promotions that I had gotten. I talked about not the specifics of money, but, you know, I was earning good money, but I never talked about my feelings around it. I never really opened up about some of the experiences that I just shared with you. And then doing that, finding out like, oh, this is not unique to me. There is something in just talking about what happens with you, what goes on with you in a way that is constructive and honest. That does help. I can see that today. Yeah, and leaving the company, cycling through my emotions of things that were good. I believe most of it was good, definitely around what I learned there, but also acknowledging some of the things that were not ideal. And one of them, I'll say, was racism. Surprise, I am a Black man, so I do have experience with racism. And with this platform, with the guests who have come on and shared their experiences, not just their experiences, but how they look for solutions, not so much with the person who may be projecting that energy, but and how we can uplift each other collectively across the globe as Black LGBTQ plus citizens. I started to be honest with myself about those moments, the moments that were negative that were connected to racism. And there were some that happened, some in the moment that I either didn't know how to respond to it, or I felt like, well, this is part of it. So it's something that I just need to accept. I'm not grateful for how it came about these most recent public murders in the last two years with people like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, among others. But what I am grateful for is that it has helped to create dialogue, not outside of Black communities, but within Black communities about the realities of 
how racism is a form of trauma and how it affects us on an emotional level, on a psychological level, and even on a spiritual level, I believe, and how we've been going through this for so many years, centuries, actually. We have not been given the space yet to really flesh out for ourselves all the pain that continues to be heaped on as a result of racism. I know that a lot of people who think about racism, they think of the more overt aspects of it, be it verbal or physical, but there are so many ways that racism manifests itself, similar to misogyny and homophobia that are nonverbal, that are social, that are cultural. So um, I'm grateful to this platform for encouraging me to first acknowledge it to myself, to share my own experiences with others, and to use this platform as a means of being public about it so that we can come together collectively and to share how we can support each other. Most recently, one of the things I've been talking about a little bit more publicly with this platform and just in general is about the racism that exists within the LGBTQ plus community. Because it hasn't been checked yet in the same way that racism has been checked publicly in other groups, I feel that the pain of it is a bit more intense, I'll say for myself, just because I think similar to Black folks, they think, well, I can't be hurting you because I know the pain of racism. And I wonder sometimes if non-Black people within the LGBTQ plus community consciously or unconsciously feel the same way, like I can't be hurting you in that way because I know what it feels like to be discriminated against or marginalized. But I'll say to both groups, you're wrong. <laughs> the pain is still the same. Yeah, using this platform for me to be a little bit more open about that, my own experiences, and hopefully giving people that come onto this platform the space to share their own experiences. My first fully conscious awareness or admitting to myself that racism exists within the LGBTQ plus community or communities was when I visited San Francisco for the first time in 2003. And I was really excited to visit the Castro. You know, I know the history of it. I know that it's one of the first areas in the United States where people within the LGBTQ plus community could be safe and feel more authentically themselves. But when I visited there in 2003, I was aware of an energy. That's the best way I can describe it. Somewhat of a hostility. I know it's happened to others who are Black. It actually happened to a friend of mine who's straight who was on that trip with me. We met up in San Francisco and hung out, and she's a Black straight woman. But I told her, oh, let's meet up in the Castro. I've never been here. Let's hang out and find some place to eat and just kind of do some sightseeing. And she was someone I can say was not someone who would jump right away to saying, I think this is about race or racism. But both of us were aware of an energy whenever we would go into certain establishments, a reticence to help us or engage with us in any type of way. And that kind of just gave me permission to say to myself that, oh, I've kind of felt this way in West Hollywood and L.A. sometimes. Definitely felt it when I've gone to clubs where going with friends who are not Black and for a while thinking, oh, well, maybe it's because I am more of a quiet person. Maybe it's because I am not dressing in the latest fashions or whatever or having the latest speech or all that stuff that is 
uniquely connected to the LGBTQ plus community. But having that experience in San Francisco with my friend Vanessa and realizing, oh, those are moments where I believe the negativity was fueled by racism. Not to brand myself as a victim, but just to say, I believe we do need to talk about it more because it does adversely affect my life, I know, and I know it affects the lives of others, be it in our personal lives or our professional lives, and even in how we're perceived in media or overlooked in media. Most recently, with researching guests that I interview and also looking for potential guests, as I'm always online looking for topics or persons of interest, and I not too long ago came across an article in a major publication about LGBTQ plus weddings. It was published last June of 2021. There were 31 photos about LGBTQ plus weddings of couples, and not one of them featured a Black man or a Black male couple. There were Black women in it and some Black lesbian couples, but there were not in 31 photos any Black men or Black male couples. It really shocked me, I'll be honest. It really shocked me that that major publication or any type of publication that has a huge platform like this one would not see that as an affront or an oversight or that's something that could be hurtful or damaging to the people that were overlooked or left out. I was going to do my old thing of just saying, oh, let it go. But I believe there's a way to strike a balance of accepting that that's the action that was taken and those were the things that happened. But it is okay for me to bring attention to it. I am respectful to the person who is at the helm of this publication, but I did feel that it did need to be shared about. And so I did share about it on Twitter. I wanted to bring to light the fact that this is one of the ways in which I believe that the Black LGBTQ plus community is overlooked or ignored in media, in Black media, in mainstream media, and also in LGBTQ plus media. I don't want to be quiet about it anymore. It's okay for me to bring light to it. That's one of the reasons why I can stand in my truth as a Black man. It's one of the reasons why I can stand in my truth as a gay man is because those who came before me in either of those communities or who exist in both of those communities did the same thing. It is a challenge for me, I'll say, that I can look through movies, I can look through magazines, I can look through other types of media and still see that we're not there. I do believe it affects me and all of our emotional and psychological well-being. So yeah, that's all I have on this. I really am enjoying this ride of being the host of our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. I love the guests that have come on. I'm looking forward to the guests that will come on. So that's all I have. And as always, thank you. And until next time, ciao. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.